Today on CityCast Salt Lake, we've all been told, whether by an expert or a neighbor, that the water situation in Salt Lake is bad. But just how bad exactly is it? I'm asking Salt Lake County's Watershed Section Manager, Bob Thompson. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Bob, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You gave a presentation at the Salt Lake County Water Summit, which I think probably not enough people saw, called The Dire Story Snowpack Tells Us. And I'm wondering if just to start out, you could unpack that title a little bit for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to burst the bubble right on that one. Uh, that was not my title. My title for the for the presentation was <laughs> 2022 Snowpack and Analysis. So way more boring than what you saw there. <laughs> yeah, the word dire is like pretty, that's a real hook. Um, what story is the snowpack telling and why is it dire? The snowpack uh, this year, like actually last year, we're on in almost exactly the same spot. Mm. We just, we don't have a lot of it. That's kind of the problem. Um, the snowpack yeah. is, you know, for lack of a better term, it's, it's, it's our biggest reservoir. We don't have any really large reservoirs around Salt Lake's there's just not much there. There's the, the supply mm-hmm. is lacking, but we still have this uh, threatening scenario of snowpack, you know, hanging out too long in our mountains and melting all at once. We can actually still have floods and a drought. So that's why I do what I do is to keep on top of uh, situations like that. Yeah. How bad is it exactly? Like how low are our water levels? Because it feels like, you know, I've lived in Salt Lake for a while now and I feel like ever since I moved here, we've been sort of casually talking about how we have no water. How is this year different? You know, this year is a compounding year. So uh, last year mm-hmm. we went through a horrible, horrible drought where uh, we were in the worst drought scenario that we can, that forecasters even uh, comment on. And this mm-hmm. year is kind of a continuation. Now we had, you know, some punctuated spells of some really great precipitation that happened last October and in December. Those were wonderful months where we got lots of water. Uh, so those yeah. kind of d- dispelled some of the drought, but really mm-hmm. what they did is they pushed pause because uh, if we don't have enough snowpack in our mountains, th- that drought scenario just continues. And so our, our water year started October 1st, and so we're not quite halfway through it, but we started our year with an incredibly wet month and that really saturated our soils, which is a great thing. And that took us out of the drought category in two different uh, aspects. Uh, but as, as we're looking at snowpacks and how they're melting and our lack of precipitation comparatively to most springs, we're really not gaining very much water into our reservoirs. So that's where it becomes dire is looking at the long-term effects of not having a lot of water. Now, uh, the last really mm-hmm. big water year we had, I mean, we had a giant water year 2011 and we've had a, a big water year 2017, but really since then, it's been just less and less the whole time. Mm -hmm. It feels like whenever we have like a big snow event lately or just tons of water incoming, everyone is really celebratory. And a lot of the reporting on that that I read is like, okay, hold up. This is great. But the sense I get from experts like you, and maybe this is completely wrong, is that like getting water is 
great and important, but consistency is also key. Like you brought up soil moisture. If we were to get 20 inches of rain over the course of the rest of this week, would that be enough? Would we be in good shape? Or are there other ways that like the water interacts with the ground that that wouldn't necessarily be good? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And the answer is actually that would be kind of a bad thing. Um, if we got mm. all of our moisture all at once, uh, chances are it would be coming A is rain and B, uh, that would melt the snowpack in a really unfortunate way. So we'd actually end up with less water in the long run. And, and, and even if it did come as snow, um, we would actually be looking at kind of a flood scenario. And in that situation, we're not able to harvest really very much of the water because, you know, it brings mm-hmm. down all kinds of soil and you know, other stuff in it that makes it so that the water suppliers can't use the water. And they just let it bypass their uh, treatment plants and flow right into the the Great Salt Lake, which isn't a bad thing. The Great Salt Lake desperately needs water, um, but it's mm-hmm. it would be kind of a, a a drop in the bucket. Bad pun intended. Mm. Yeah. So if we have too much rain on our snowpack and our snowpack melts too quickly, we then can't harvest all that water, which means we end up potentially losing more water than we had in the first place. Is th- am I understanding that? Yeah, correctly? that's correct. Um, how the snowpack melts oh kind of tells the story of water availability to us. So we really need it to melt not too quickly and not, if it melts too slowly, most of it just absorbs into the ground and we don't really get to use that surface water that our system is set up to use. If it melts too quickly, mm-hmm. the water quality is so low that the treatment plants can't handle the water. So they have to let it bypass the plant. So there's kind of this happy medium where we have, you know, a, a normal per se runoff uh, where the snow comes down in manageable fashion and you know in in these low Hmm. water years so the snow it's goldilocks (laughs) sort of yeah um in these low water years we do tend to have a little bit more um predictable melts it's the the high water years that can be really variable um and in the extreme drought years that's when we usually have it melt off too soon and it makes the drought worse i'm curious because you spend quite a bit of time in the field as i understand it not just like you know looking at models which it feels like the models can't even keep up anymore with like what what's happening. But um, what do you look for when you're in the field? Like what are the signs this time of year that give us clues about what the spring and summer bring? Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of a simpleton. So I, I look for the really easy stuff. I actually go out and measure snow directly. <laughs> I calculate how much water is in that snowpack. I look at percent coverage. So I actually look around in the mountains. I spend time backcountry skiing and taking photos at the same spots and looking at our relative coverages. And I just plug that stuff into a model that calculates how much water there is at every given elevation in our canyons. And I look at different aspects. I look at north aspects, south aspects, and I just compile Mm -hmm. how much water I think there is. Uh, There's some groups out there doing some dynamite work, like the University of Utah has a new modeling program where they're using drones and remote sensing to figure out how much water is out there. And it's really cool stuff that they're doing. There's is way yeah. more complicated than what I do, but um, there, I guess you could say there's there's all parts of the, the spectrum being covered from low tech to very, very high tech modeling, trying to figure out how much water we're looking at. Mm-hmm. How have your observations changed over the past few years? Like, I'd be curious, just, you know, the past three years, the past 10 years. Well, the past three years, unfortunately, they, they really haven't changed much. They've been pretty dire. Um, huh. <laughs> they, yeah. we, we really haven't had very much snow um, over the past, I would say I'm I hate to date myself, but uh, back in the 80s, mm-hmm. it, it was a completely different uh, snow cycle. And I was a kid back then. And 
Um, it was never a question if we were going to have skiable snow in May. It was just a given. It was never a question yeah. if we were going to have great snow before Christmas. It was just a given. So, you know, mm -hmm. from when I was a kid till now, clearly the, the, the cycles have changed. We're in a new normal. And um, mm -hmm. I think our, our behaviors are the thing that are going to have to catch up to uh, the, the availability of water. Mm -hmm. I know this seems like a really silly question, but I kind of think it's important, maybe the most important one, which is why does, why does this matter? What actually happens if we don't have enough water this summer? Well, uh, our, our water supply is kind of tenuous at best. So, um, when I, I mean, to, to use an analogy, I think a lot of folks can relate to, uh, in a really good water year, if we have all of our reservoirs full, if you were to compare that mm -hmm. to driving your car, looking at your fuel gauge, uh, you'd be looking at maybe a quarter tank. It, it really isn't enough to get you through your anticipated journey. So if you're driving to California, you wouldn't have nearly enough fuel to get there. So in our, in mm -hmm. a good water year, uh, we don't have enough water in our snowpack to get us through those really dry months. Um, and mm. to, to make that, I guess, a little bit more real, um, we, the last three years have been running on fumes. So our fuel gauge would have been below empty. And that's a pretty scary scenario when you're looking at you know, water, which is one of the most basic needs that all humans have. Um, we're, mm -hmm. we're pretty short on it. Mm -hmm. How do you think we'll experience that? I remember last summer, a lot of the reporting that was like the reservoirs are at 50 or below 50% what they should be. I read that this year, our reservoirs are 10% less this time this year than they were this time last year, but I still turn on my tap and I still get water. Right. And so like, where does the rubber kind of meet the road for us? What is that going to look like? Uh, these are questions that policymakers tend to uh, debate. Uh, they rely on input from people like me who go out and measure the snowpack directly. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know how comfortable I am venturing a guess that way because, I mean, <laughs> it, my mind goes to some pretty dark places. Like when you turn on the tap, yeah. maybe there won't be water there. That's the scary part is how are we going to deliver right. that necessary resource to everybody who needs it? Because, you know, people are flocking to this valley like crazy. This is yeah. a really, really uh, big time growth area. And so it, mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit scary to think about, you know, dwindling water supplies and growing population and an increasing need. The de demand just keeps going mm -hmm. up, supply keeps going down. So we're going to have to figure something out. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Are there solutions on the table? 
Um, or yes. recommendations um, you would make? I guess what recommendations would you make? I mean, the make? simplest thing in my mind is when you when you face a shortage of anything, you should probably stop using it so quickly. That's the the, the mm. obvious thing for me. The low hanging fruit is, you know, why do we have so much green space? Um, like particularly, we I, I drive around my neighborhood on the East East Bench of Salt Lake Valley, and I see mm-hmm. you know parking strips and front yards that people just don't use but they are full of these really thirsty green lawns and i I think we could Mm. probably save a lot of water that way um the big users in utah agriculture uses a ton of water um it would be Mm -hmm. nice if we could tailor our agricultural practices to maybe lower water strategies like you know tailoring the crops to our climate um it would be Mm -hmm. wonderful if uh tech industries who use a ton of water uh could uh, curb their usage i know that's kind of a tall ask but um, when when a resource is in short supply, I think all of the users need to tighten the belt, as it were. How do the tech industries use a lot of water? Um, water is really one of the most efficient cooling materials out there. So you know, when machines run, they 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 generate heat, and so when you're mm. trying to get rid of heat, water is the easiest way to do it. Interesting. I never knew that. Okay. Are there things that municipalities are thinking about taking on? Like, have you heard sort of rumblings? Where's that conversation headed? Because I'm wondering if I'm going to get something in the mail soon that says, guess what? You get this much water every week. And I've lived before in places where, you know, your water tank was on your roof and when it ran out, (laughs) you know, next Tuesday, the water guy comes and you get some more water. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't, I don't know if we're in that, that space yet. Um, Municipalities, I, I can't speak for uh, the municipalities that I deal with, and there are there are plans on the table. Um, Salt Lake City mm-hmm. has been extremely proactive. They've been looking at the drought question for a number of years. They've got a drought response plan. Uh, they're updating their watershed management plan. They're 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 taking you know good steps to look at what water availability is, not just in terms of water quantity, but in terms of water quality. Um, they're looking at climate mm-hmm. change, trying to figure out how that factors into the whole equation, um, and. Mm-hmm. You know, even though, you know, no law is going to be perfect, even the legislature took a step of signing into law the the mandate for secondary water to be metered. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think that went far enough, but at least to know how much we're using, it, it it's a start. So um, mm-hmm. I think there are processes in action that are going to help the situation, but I think we have a long way to go before we reach a a better state. We're, we're still in a, a yeah. place of... I would call it a place of waste. Yeah. Can I ask you how far you think personally the water metering law should go? The secondary water metering? Um, uh, Yeah, personally, I I think all water should be structured on a tiered rate and you should pay for what you use. So if you use more water, you should pay more for it, especially because it's a Mm -hmm. precious resource and, you know, it's, it's part of the public good. So we should all have equal access to that resource, not just a few that are choosing not to conserve it. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, everybody should pay based on usage. We're headed into summer. We're hearing that it's going to be a hot one. Um, below average precipitation potentially, like how does that shake out? Is this, is this our new normal or is this part of a cycle? Okay. Now you're asking good science questions. I like it. Um, you know, if it's just part of, of this year's weather, we'll just call it weather, um, and it, mm-hmm. it, it's just a thing that's happening now. But if this becomes 
the regular state of affairs this time of year and we are warmer and drier, that's part of a climatological cycle. And that's, that's a little bit more, that's, that's scary. And the last three years, um, are indicating that it might be part of a climatological cycle. So, uh, I I think we're entering kind of a, like you said, a new normal and it's, it's a bit alarming to me, uh, cause I, I've got three young boys and I, Mm -hmm. I wonder about what kind of a world we're leaving for them. I, and I Mm -hmm. personally, uh, dedicate every day of my career to try to make it a better place for them. <clears throat> it it really mm-hmm. is alarming to me to to think that we could squander our resources so irresponsibly without thinking about that next generation. Yeah. Good luck to us. <laughs> well, luckily, you know, the, a lot of these problems were faced by cultures, you know, thousands of years ago. I mean, the Egyptians, they 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 came up with some incredibly efficient watering technologies that you know we could go back to that and we'd be saving a ton of mm-hmm. water um, using rainwater. There there's so many solutions out there. We just have to choose as uh, people to to do that. And I, I don't think any of these things are insurmountable. It just requires a bit of a paradigm shift, and that's oftentimes the most difficult part is asking people to change. Yeah, well, and specifically at a policy level, right? With so many things, I think we as individuals can take on what we can take on. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if I had a lawn, I'd xeriscape it. But we need to see, like, I think a major policy shift is what I'm hearing based on your recommendations. And that that goes far deeper than the work that we as individuals can do to just, you know, make sure that we're not watering too much or that we phone it in if we're walking around the U campus and see that they're watering the sidewalks, which I remember a lot of last summer. So, um, I think that's really an important takeaway. Yeah, that's well stated. Bob, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And for your work in this space, I'm glad you're, um, I guess sounding the alarm. I don't know. It seems like we've been sounding the alarm for a couple of years now, but we definitely can't stop doing it. Yeah, agreed. And I think, I think, you know, some folks are starting to pay attention, which is excellent news. I love it when the policymakers listen to the science and make good decisions based on what they hear. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. before we go. With 99% of the state in a severe drought, Governor Cox says he's likely to issue a state of emergency this week or next. He did the same thing last March. Three months later, he asked Utahns to pray for rain. Remember? Seven months later, the Utah legislature met last January and passed a few bills to cut down on the state's water use. We are now metering secondary water use, as Bob mentioned. Secondary water is non-potable water, so hoses, irrigation systems, all that kind of stuff. All new state facilities are now required to have 20% less grass and to cut water use by 5% by next year and 25% by 2026. 5% in the next year. I'm obviously raging about this. And the reason is that the water crisis, it's not impending. It is now. On the Utah-Arizona border, Lake Powell, which also relies on snowmelt from Colorado and Wyoming, is at its lowest ever level and continuing to shrink. Water managers are sounding the alarm that if the lake gets any lower, power generators at the dam will not be able to move water south to Page, Arizona. Page, which is on the Navajo Nation. Because these climate crises, they don't come for us equally. 
The Department of the Interior, now run by Secretary Deb Holland, has issued an official request that Arizona make dramatic adjustments to its water use. TBD how much they will. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. I can't really emphasize enough how much a nice review on Apple Podcasts or five stars on Spotify means to our show. Thank you so much for doing it, or if you've already done it. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around this city. Bye. I know it's weird when someone asks you on a work thing where you live. (laughs) I'm not coming over, I promise.